Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're recording this on Monday before the Tampa Bay Monday night game, and my man is creamsicle ready for war. Ooh! Ooh! Got the starter jacket on, baby. It's prime Ooh. time. <laughs> it's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, unless he has entered the transfer portal, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing much, Mike. I, I am fantasizing about the transfer portal. Uh, just the, the optimism that what is to come if you jump in and then the, the crushing defeat if no one bites. I know it's 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 sort of a tough thing to kind of think about here. You can get humbled pretty quick in all of this. And right now, honestly, I would feel that sort of left out if I wasn't in the transfer portal. Like it seems like <laughs> there is going to be portal FOMO building up. Yeah, I mean, yes, every it's all the cool kids are doing it. Like quite literally. No, literally. All of them are doing it. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today uh, with and without the portal. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Whatever portal you get our podcast from, leave us a five-star yes. rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus is going to join us, join us today. 
uh, does an outstanding job covering the league over there, formerly with the DraftNet, formerly uh, covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. You may know him on Twitter as Tampa Bay Trey. And so he's going to stop by. We take a look at plenty of what we saw yesterday, including the uh, prognosis for the Dolphins. We didn't talk as much about the other side of that 49ers game yesterday, as well as some other teams uh, down the stretch of this NFL season that we'll be keeping an eye on. Well, the last time we had Trevor on, he was looking at rings. He hasn't gotten married yet, has he? He has not gotten married yet, no. He is currently engaged to uh, ESPN's Alyssa Lang, uh, South Carolina alum, and thus for bowl season, enemy of our podcast in the meantime, even though we love Alyssa and she's wonderful. uh, She's wearing the wrong colors for this time around. But yes, not married yet, but very much engaged, and that is very much public, so we didn't break news here. But if you heard it for the first time, make sure you congratulate Trevor and Alyssa because they're yes. wonderful. Um, we've also got NFL Top 5, Bottom 5 today. We will take yep. a look at one of the more toxic bowl situations. Mess on top of mess this bowl season that hits very close mm-hmm. to home for Brandon. Uh, we will begin some of the holiday controversy since I saw a list on Twitter that needs our attention. Uh, and we will take a look at what the hell's going on in that portal. But Brandon, before we get to that, uh, it's time, Brandon. Time to be mad online about the Heisman. Ooh, yes. Let's do it. So, um, as a Heisman voter, yesterday was a very big day for me. Yes. Wait a minute. minute. You vote on the Heisman? Yes. Mike. Wait, have we not talked about that? No, fuck no. We haven't ever talked about the fact (laughs) that you vote on the Heisman, Mike. What the hell? When did you start voting on the Heisman? It's my favorite flex. It started like three years ago. Um, Three years ago, you started voting for the Heisman? Yeah. The trophy, the Heisman trophy. Like, okay, do you know how many votes are not to, I don't know. I don't want to actually, let's act like there's only 12. I know there's not only 12, but let's like there's only 12. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of Heisman voters here, but the folks at the Heisman Trust are very kind. I, I I often tell the story. I got asked one year when I was working at ESPN to MC um, the night before the Heisman ceremony in New York. They have a dinner and event for all of the players, their families, their coaches, whoever's in town supporting them, and each of the guys that's a finalist receives a plaque commending them for just being a finalist for the award. It's a really kind of intimate event. I don't know if they're back to doing it now post-pandemic, but I was there the year that Joe Burrow won the Heisman for that yeah. award. It was uh, him, Chase Young, and Justin Fields were up for the award. Um, Jalen Hurts was also there, and that is where my realization that Jalen Hurts was the future president of the United States of the Philadelphia Eagles was born, because walking in there, every other kid, because they're kids, they're 18 to 21 year old guys was wearing a team issued polo. That was what the Ohio state guys are wearing. Joe Burrow was wearing his LSU letter jacket and Justin Fields walks in here with Jalen. Excuse me. Justin Fields was in the uh, team issued him and uh, him and chase young were in the team issued polo. Jalen hurts walks in here with a turtleneck and a blazer over the top. That man looked like he could have been running for office, the CEO of some company that was coming to invest or was, you know, a sponsor of the Heisman or the person that was eventually going to be one of the nominees for it. That guy, presidential as fuck, was the biggest takeaway from that experience with Jalen Hurts. So we said, but we yeah. said it before when he came top of the handsome list, world's most interesting man, world's most interesting quarterback. 
And uh, I, I, my mind exploded, Mike, because I remember, did we not have lunch that day in New York City? The day that you yes. hosted that, like me, you, and Dane? Yep. So we went to lunch that day, and then later that night I did that, and that's actually where, like, after that, they were like, all right, well, like, we would also, like, you're a member of the media, would you like to vote on the Heisman, and the rest is history, so. Wow. Yeah. And so, while I know there are a lot of qualms about the award from people, and it's looked at as largely a quarterback popularity award, it is something that I'm very proud of, and I take pretty seriously as my, you know, you know, opportunity to be a voter on this one so shout out to the heisman trust as always for making it happen for your boy greatly appreciated um that Can being I, said brandon i cannot okay. talk about who i voted for until Ooh. after the trophies handed out okay but I can get mad with the rest of the internet about the things that we saw happen here without getting into specifics because after God, that long winded preamble where I made the Heisman trophy all about me and in a really impressive fashion. I th uh, honestly, not even enough. I was ready to go another five minutes, but I'll move on. Uh, the four guys that will be finalists for the Heisman trophy award announced on Monday, USC's Caleb Williams, Ohio state, CJ Stroud, TCU's Max Duggan and Georgia's Stetson Bennett. Now, that last one was the kicker that surprised a lot of people. Stetson Bennett, who is a national champion, and as Spencer yeah. Hall has repeatedly pointed out on the shutdown full cast, the future owner of many great Kia dealerships in the greater Atlanta area. <laughs> you ain't lying. As I have had pointed out to me by many fans of the Georgia football team, there are mm -hmm. people that wonder if he's even the third best player on their offense this season, Brandon. That's how loaded this Georgia team is. That's what we know about yeah. the machine over there. And so I don't like, first off, like congratulations to all these guys. I mean that sincerely. These are all phenomenal players. And I don't want to turn this into bashing one in particular. That one certainly surprised me. And... I think it's more about the emissions on the other side. What? I, uh, wh why, as a Heisman, as a Heisman voter, Mike, why were you surprised by Stetson Bennett getting in? Because for me, it makes sense. So I would say this: the way I look at the Heisman, and where there's always conversations about these, you know, MVP tangent awards in sports, is what is the criteria for voting on it? And it's kind of like the college football playoff itself. It's some combination of best and most deserving. And the way I always look at it is the most boiled down version possible: is how valuable is this person to their team when it comes to their production and what it means in the context of that team, and then what kind of success has it led that team to? It's not to say that it's got to be the best player on the best team award, which it's somewhat become over the years in a lot of people's minds, but it's, hey, in order to be up for this award, your contributions do probably have to lead to some greater thing for your team, and so they tend to be the better teams in college football, and so I look at that and I just go, all right, with this year's Georgia team and last year's Georgia team, there are a lot of other things that I can point to on that team that lead to high-end winning before I would get to Stetson Bennett's name, even if he is someone that's incredibly valuable to that team, that especially in this season with the experience coming off of last year is extremely important. I could make some of the same argument, by the way, as to why C.J. Stroud is another name on this list that I know is a very good player, but when right. we look at it and go, well, with all the weapons that you've got in that Ohio State offense, this is something yeah. where maybe the load isn't strapped quite as firmly to his back. The two names that got brought up by most people, Brandon, that 
were upset about the way that this proceeded and I think get to sort of the process for how we go about doing this was Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for the Tennessee Volunteers, who was injured in their game against South Carolina and then missed their last game of the season, and Blake Corum, the running back for Michigan, who was also injured in their game versus Illinois, was not able to come back and really do much of anything against Ohio State, and then had season-ending knee surgery and will be out for the rest of the way, missed their Big Ten championship game against Purdue as well. And looking at that, Brandon, like... Both of those guys who, on paper, again, and really in practice, looking at their performances here, looked like guys that were extremely important parts of two of the best teams in the country. Michigan is the number two team in college football, and that team is defined by their ground game. And as great as their offensive line is, they won the Joel Moore Award for the best O-line last year. This guy was such a difference maker on the field for them. And there are so many instances when you cut on the tape of this team of where you watched him take good runs and good blocking and turn them into great plays that I think have been the difference for this Michigan team all year long. And then for Hendon Hooker, they were the number one team in the country. They had two of the best wins that we saw all year long in an offense that can only go fast and do what it does when you put more on the plate of the quarterback, even if some of the uh, the concepts are a little simpler than what we see in some pro style schemes, the pace of it and what it requires as far as deep ball precision are all reasons why we saw this team take a big jump when they went from Joe Milton to Hendon Hooker last season. And so that's part of my frustration for both of those guys and part of what I've seen from a lot of people on the outside about why those two players in particular who just weren't around on conference championship weekend, one, because Hendon Hooker's team wasn't playing, but two, because both guys were injured, I think frustrates a lot of people because this is supposed to be an entire season award. Yeah, Mike, that makes sense. But I, I struggle to remember a time where someone in New York waiting to hear if they won the Heisman or not was injured at all. Is, is that fair to say? It's fair to say to an extent, but also I can understand when someone's injured and misses a bulk of time where they would have been able to go out there and put some of those things on tape. Like one of my biggest regrets and the what could have been for this season will be what could have been for Jalen Carter, the star defensive tackle for Georgia, had he not been injured in that play against Missouri because he ended up missing two games, but then really has been used sparingly down the stretch of the season. They brought him back in and would use him on third downs. They were trying to limit the snap count because they know what they need him for the postseason and the national championship that they eventually want to play in but if that guy had been fully healthy all season long we saw on those small samples and we saw it again in the sec championship he's on borderline unblockable and would come in and force fumbles or sack the quarterback or do any number of things that lead me to think that if we had gotten him truly healthy over a long season, we could have talked about a Heisman campaign for an interior D lineman for maybe the first time since Indomitian Sioux in 2009. Damn. So that feels like what we missed out on there. But like I understand the injury is a factor. And when you stack some of those guys up again, and again, you know, you could throw Drake May into this conversation. Also, I know his production tailed off a little bit in the last couple of games against NC State and Clemson, but that was still a guy who had to shoulder a load outside of what most of the rest of these guys had to fathom because of the quality of the rest of that team in North Carolina and what they were still able to accomplish getting to the ACC championship. Okay, I'm glad that you laid out your criteria and how you look at voting because you are a voter. But as someone who just sees the Heisman or just saw the Heisman as a television event, 
at, at a certain point in time. It was just the best player on the most relevant team. A, a lot of times, it felt like you know what I mean. Like I remember yeah. on our official our official visit for banquet weekend, we were on Jimmy Clausen's basement watching Tim Tebow win the Heisman for the, uh, that night, and it, it it was everyone was talking about you know how good he was and things like that. But it just seems consistent that it was the most relevant player on the best team. So with that. That's why I think Stetson Bennett, like, it makes sense for me to, for him to go in there just for my novice brain coming into it. But if there's a player, obviously, you know, college football, football in general, what have you done for me lately? If there's a player who wasn't there for the conference championship, that unfairly obviously feels like it is the thing that kept them out. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the frustration because, again, all of these guys are deserving. Like, when you talk about these top-end guys. Full season award, yeah. Yeah, for a full season award because a lot of them have really incredible numbers on the top end. We When we talked about C.J. Stroud, Max Duggan just came off a performance that we mentioned in the, in the uh, Big 12 championship game. First quarterback to throw for 250 and run for over 100 since Deshaun Watson in 2014 in the ACC title. Uncommon. He has been an engine. We talked to his coach, Sonny Dykes, on this podcast. Like, I figured Max would be one of the guys that had a very good shot of getting to New York, even if we think this is an award that's largely going to be a no contest between Caleb Williams and everybody else. And so it's not that there aren't plenty of deserving guys in here, but I get a little frustrated when it seems like, and I think a lot of people get a little frustrated when it seems like it's just, what have you done for me in this last game of the season? And everyone's got their process and I'm sure everyone's got their reason for this. I hope that they can use to defend all that. Cause that's the other thing. Like when this is done, I love, I love to open up and say, this is who I voted for. And this is why, mm -hmm. because I think everyone should have to be able to defend those things publicly when we talk about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see who wins, especially since it's not a clear-cut winner right now. Obviously, you, you could say it is with Caleb Williams, but he got injured <laughs> in his last game, and he may not be playing uh, in, in their bowl game uh, either, Mike. So, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. It's probably, it, feels, it feels a little bit more interesting than it has in a long time. Yeah, you know, and I think regardless to seeing – couple different uniforms involved seeing a usc mm -hmm. quarterback back on this stage is extremely nostalgic for True. me having stetson bennett be here is sort of the culmination of what's happened in the last couple of years for georgia right is they've been so unavoidably dominant in the face of college football that their quarterback is now a prestige position or feels like it in the sport even if it's a guy that was the former walk-on and has the story that stetson bennett has which i mean you add this on to it one of the better modern college football stories as far as yeah. someone maximizing their talent in the right situation of anyone that i can think of and now regardless Regardless of where he finishes in the voting, the fact that it's going to be in the top four for the Heisman is damn insane. Yeah, I mean, no one's considering the fact that he's throwing to a 6'7", uh, 250 Darnell Washington at tight end and, and the likes there. But I think it is – the Heisman should be a narrative award as much as it is a full season award. And I think Stetson Bennett, like, he just hits – he checks a lot of boxes. 
He's a very good player. He's a dual threat player for them, which I know gets brought up because he doesn't look like a dual threat player all the time, but his legs are Mm -hmm. very deadly. And there is something to be said to being built like Stetson Bennett and being in the middle of all those space aliens and being the one that comes out on top in that heap, even if it seems like going back to Jake Fromm versus Justin Fields, that Kirby Smart kind of has a kink at that position, even if that's kind of a thing. Stetson Bennett still managed to go out here and be the guy that commands it in the middle of that offense of future first round draft picks, that defense full of future space aliens and all pros. And so it it, it is interesting. I do feel for Blake and for Hendon just because injury late in the season seemed to cost two guys that were so valuable for so long, but it's not like I'm not happy for the rest of these guys here. And I want to make sure that's abundantly clear. This is an awesome opportunity. It's an awesome experience and celebration of these guys, their seasons, they all carry the rest of their teams with them into this award. And so it's cool moment for them. We'll wait and see how it shakes out when the final voting comes out, but that is uh, your final four for the Heisman trophy. Brandon, Four isn't the number that we deal with yes. around here, though. Uh, five is the number that we deal with. Uh, it's week 13 in the NFL's top five, bottom five time. For anyone new around here, it's exactly what it sounds like. We go through and rank the top five or bottom five. Anything, players, plays, teams from the weekend that was. We alternate going uh, five to one. Brandon is in the penthouse this week with the top five. I am in the outhouse with the bottom five this week. Um, and I believe we start with the bottom five uh, so that yes. we can end this on the right note. Uh, Brandon, I'll start this thing off. Number five for me. Uh, on the bottom five, Deshaun Watson being bad at actual football this weekend. Um, yes. The Browns won their game against the Texans because their defense scored 21 points. And Deshaun Watson himself threw for 131 yards in an interception and looked like someone that hadn't played football in two years and yeah. uh, was coming back from an 11-game suspension for sexual assault allegations. This was a person that did not look composed out there, did not look together in an offense that requires a ton of structure and timing in Kevin Stefanski's system. And so we've talked a lot about what led us to this point off the field, but the on-field assessment was also not a passing grade this weekend for Deshaun Watson, even if that would be difficult to expect given how long it's been since he's played meaningful football. Exactly, Mike. One thing I love about top five, bottom five is after I hear yours, I think about stacking the show and it's subject to change. So my number one is going to be now my number five. All right. And that's Cleveland Browns 27 to 14 victory over the Houston Texans without Deshaun Watson's help. Uh, so the most problematic quarterback in in football had a problem sticking to football in his debut. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, are, you already mentioned the things. I want to sp- speak specifically to the fumble recovery for a touchdown from Denzel Ward, the interception return for a touchdown by uh, linebacker Tony Fields, and the punt return touchdown by That's wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I had in fantasy, and I was worried that I wasn't getting them points, but I ended up getting them. Um, this is the, the Browns are the first team – with two defensive touchdowns and a special team touchdown in the same game since Green Bay in week 11 of 2014. So, I, you know, I, I thought it was the top five because I thought it was fitting that in Deshaun Watson's return that he didn't get it right 
and the Browns still won because they had been practicing while he had been sitting. Yeah, no, that's very true. And for the rest of that team, we know that defense um, has struggled at times to stop the run and do certain things, but them getting after and harassing the quarterback, taking away the football certainly looked like uh, a point of strength this weekend. So congratulations to uh, the rest of the Cleveland Browns and pulling that off. Brandon, number four on the bottom five, speaking of uh, the remnants of the Cleveland Browns, uh, that belongs to Baker Mayfield being released by the Carolina Panthers, uh, the former number one overall pick of the Cleveland Browns, who was trying to begin the second act of his career in Carolina, where we have not really seen any quarterback able to have success in that Matt Rule regime that is no more there. Um was released on Monday. Um, a lot of people were linking him to the 49ers. He's got to clear waivers first. Um so they would be able to sign him if they, you know, if right. he didn't get down to them in waivers. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach in the Niners, said that he'd be surprised if they went that route. He said, we evaluate everyone, and in the wake of Jimmy G's injury, we would be looking in that direction. But Brandon, I think the way that Kyle Shanahan is wired, someone who clearly seems to believe a lot in what his system can provide quarterbacks, I don't think he yeah. wants the variables that come with Baker Mayfield on and off the field. And I Ooh. think him, it, this is more about Kyle Shanahan probably going to everyone in that organization organization and saying no I'm good enough to make it work with Brock Purdy I can make it work with a rookie I don't need for us to go and do something at least like this maybe there's another veteran that pops up out there that they can think of I was talking to my dad earlier and he mentioned Nick Foles's name as a possibility Mm. in that conversation but in the meantime I would see them sticking with Brock Purdy truly before they brought in Baker yeah Mike and uh I think this is perfect time for me to go to my uh we're at four right Top four in the NFL is the 49ers signing veteran Josh Johnson. Do you remember Josh Johnson? Do you remember Josh Johnson? Yeah, hasn't Josh Johnson played for like 80 teams and in the XFL? So he is making, uh, yes, the answer to your question. He's making my list because uh, he is now the, I guess he he's he's a player that has been on the most teams in NFL history. In his 13 uh, seasons, he has now been a part of 14 different teams, and this is his third stint with the 49ers, Mike. So I, they're signing him off the Broncos practice squad because, oh, the Lord knows the practice practice, practice squad, oh, how God. bad they must be if, if, if Russell Wilson is still out there. But uh, shouts out to him. I always room for every black quarterback, but I did want to uh, l- run through – where he has been. Yes. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 2008 to 2011. San Francisco 49ers, 2012. Uh, Sacramento Mountain Lions, 2012. Cleveland Browns, 2012. Cincinnati Bengals, 2013. San Francisco 49ers, 2014. Cincinnati Bengals, 2015. New York Jets, 2015. Indianapolis Colts, 2015. Buffalo Bills, 2015. Baltimore Ravens, 2016. New York Jets, 2016. Houston Texans, 2017. Oakland Raiders, 2018. Washington R-Words, 2018. Uh, San Diego Fleet, 2019. Detroit Lions, 2019. Los Angeles Wildcats, 2020. San Francisco 49ers, 20 to 2021. New York Jets, 2021. Baltimore Ravens, 2021. Denver Broncos, 2022. And now back with the 49ers. Mike, I just, I love a journeyman and and I love an opportunity. And uh, Jimmy G provided one. He's not a journeyman. He's a journey, man. Let him handle his business. Damn. I got to fast uh, forward. I'm going to fast forward me reading through that uh, in the edit. That's gonna there be you go. I love that journey for you there, Brandon. I yes. love that journey for Josh Johnson. Uh, 
who I'm sure Kyle Shanahan believes he could also make look like a very good quarterback in this league. Uh, Brandon, number three for me, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. And I didn't want to put them much lower than this because in that game against the Seahawks, that team battled their asses off despite not having their top receiver, their starting quarterback. They've started both John Wolford and Bryce Perkins at different points in this season. They've had one of the most injured offensive lines I can remember in pro football, and Aaron Donald has been out with an ankle injury as of late. It was essentially Bobby Wagner, Jalen Ramsey, and the Pips going to work trying to make it happen, and they almost made it happen in a Bobby Wagner Wagner revenge game. But now starting 3-9, and they officially have the worst record and worst start for a reigning champion in NFL history, and it seems like, by all accounts, they're going to shut down most of the core pieces uh, for the rest of the season because there's nothing left to play for at this point. Yeah, I feel like Aaron Donald had a, a hint of this. That's why he's talking about retiring. Obviously not this much of a remission uh, going into the season, but it's too bad for them. It's too bad for them. But this is a good segue into my number three, Mike, because this is another team that – or I'll say another player that did something great in a losing effort. Justin Fields is the best rushing quarterback in NFL history. Mm. I'm just going to say it flat out because he's done all these crazy things within the first few games. Is in that NFL history? In NFL history. He, he is now and will be, Mike. Justin Fields recorded a 55-yard touchdown run. People, Some people are saying 56 uh, in the first quarter off of a freaking read option play. It, it wasn't technically right up the middle, but for a quarterback scramble, it definitely was. I guess it wasn't a scramble. It was a design play. But – Fields is the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to rush for a touchdown in the six consecutive games. And he also has three touchdowns, Mike, three rushing touchdowns of at least 50 yards or more this season. Not rushing, like, gains, touchdowns. Like, that's a that's a record for the NFL, and that's why I'm saying that he is the best. Like, they already said that they're using Lamar Jackson plays to get him in position, and he seems to be doing it even better because – he might be one of those Jamar Chase guys that's a lot bigger in person, but Justin Fields is l- legitimately electric, and the Bears have an answer at quarterback finally. They do. He is one of the most exciting runners I have ever seen in, in modern football. I don't know if I'm going to make him the best in NFL history just yet, but he is faster than I remember him being in college because we didn't have to see him do that this much. And so, man, those are some eye-popping stats. Dear God. Um yeah. Number two, Brandon, completely far away from fun offense uh, where one of those quarterbacks you mentioned lives. The entire Broncos and Ravens game. The fact that Lamar Mm. Jackson is now day-to-day with a knee injury and we're not sure what that's going to mean for his future this season. The fact that the Broncos still cannot do anything in the red zone. They just decided they were so bad in the red zone they weren't going to go there at all. Zero trips to the red zone in this game against the Ravens in something that was just an affront to God for any of us to have to watch for extended time. I said to someone yesterday, this must be what it was like looking directly into the reactor at Chernobyl. Oh, Mike. <laughs> oh, what a great TV show. Uh, but I, I would say, say this. Everyone tried to compare Russell Wilson to Peyton Manning or the, you know, the Broncos were doing the yeah. Peyton Manning thing all over again, right? This stat was was egregious. Peyton Manning in 2013 had seven touchdowns in, his, uh, in the very first game of the season. Okay. Russell Wilson in 2022 has seven touchdowns with 13 weeks into the season. I know. I remember you brought this up earlier that we're still at fewer touchdowns than bedrooms or bathrooms uh, no, in his house. Than bathrooms, yes. We haven't got to that 12th that 12th touchdown yet, Mike. It's 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 sad, but you know, I, at least the Ravens beat them. 
for me. Truly. What do you got at number two, Brandon? <sighs> That's Sunday night Colts Cowboys Scorigami, Mike. Ooh, Scorigami. Scorigami, Mike. The 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 Cowboys 54-19 win over the Indianapolis Colts was the 1074th different final score in NFL history. Marking just the second time this season that we've had Scorigami. Uh, and also the 33-point explosion that we talked about in the fourth quarter for the Cowboys. Uh, the most points, uh, the most points differential, largest, whatever. The biggest fourth quarter that anyone has had in NFL history. <clears throat> second most points scored in a quarter in NFL history. Uh, we were seeing something wild and crazy, Mike. I, I knew it felt different, uh, but uh, Scorigami, who, who would have thunk it? Love a good bit of scorigami here. Again, final scores that we have gotten for the first time. Nothing better. Good nerd shit, Brandon. Uh, you led me right to number one, the Colts' fourth quarter. All the reasons you just mentioned. It was terrible. Ooh. It was hard to watch. That was a 21-19 game, and then the lights absolutely went out. No Colts offensive player could hold on to the football. Cats and dogs were living together. It was It was tough. It was tough to watch, and I felt for everyone involved. Well, let's go to the other side of that. Number one. Man Campbell, baby. The Detroit Lions score on all eight offensive possessions in their 40 to 14 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Suck it, Emerson. Suck it, uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Like, this is this was crazy. Obviously, uh, uh, Andrew Siciliano, the other red zone guy over there in LA in your town, uh, tweeted this, Mike, and I had to uh, reiterate it. Other than taking a knee when they won the game. The Lions scored on all eight possessions. No NFL team has scored on every possession in a regular season game in four years. The Damn. Detroit Lions are actually turning the the uh, they're turning the corner, Mike. I, I think this is an actually good football team. They're uh, as the Monday Night Football. They said still not in the hunt. They said uh, sniffing around, and the Lions are still sniffing around in the NFC. The Lions are still sniffing around in the NFC. That is top five, bottom five, and that is actually a perfect segue into one of the many things that we're going to talk about with pro football fro- focuses Trevor Sikama when he joins us in just a second as we look at some of the top performers this weekend and a little bit of not only the Lions present, but what this might mean for the Lions in the future. Next. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. 
All right, very excited to welcome in one of our friends, have him back around here. Trevor Sikamut, you guys know him over at Pro Football Focus, host of It's Just Football and the NFL Stock Exchange pod here on the daily content grind, my man. And I hope this is one of those days that I plug the YouTube pretty relentlessly because we're recording this on Monday before the Tampa Bay Monday night game, and my man is creamsicle ready for war. Ooh! Ooh! Got the starter jacket on, baby. It's prime Ooh. time. <laughs> I got it. I gotta, I gotta enjoy Tom Brady playing for my childhood football team before he leaves again, but probably for real this time. So you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to soak it in, trying to get the good vibes going. Uh, and yeah, anytime it's a primetime game, it's good stuff. So I had to make sure that I donned the uh, the starter jacket today. Have you prepared yourself for Tom just going right back to his old love and going back to New England and completing the prophecy? Um, not until this very moment. So you've you've really just absolutely <laughs> blown up my my perception of what is possible in the world. I was over here thinking, you know, all right, he's gonna retire. You know, maybe maybe he'll just go to the booth eventually. That'll be fine. I could deal with that. And then I had to come to grips with, oh no, what if he goes to San Francisco? Like, what if he forces his way out, still wants to play football, goes home to the San Francisco team? Now I'm out here thinking he might have a reunion. And I'm going to have to read all the tweets of, oh, I love New England. Now I'm back. This is where I belong. I don't want that, Mike. Why would you do that to me? Why would you I, do that? I thought that would honestly be the lesser of the two evils. Because if he goes back to New England, there's still a bunch of other places that roster has to get better. If he goes out to San Francisco, that team could win a Super Bowl very oh. like. Like that. Like, we're yeah. talking, we're looking at that team and San Francisco with Brock Purdy at the helm right now, still kind of going. Well, maybe, like watching that this weekend, did it not still look like a team that's capable of at least making it very hairy for everyone in the NFC? I was going to say, you know, with all due respect to Brock Purdy, uh, you know, Tom Brady could probably win a Super Bowl for him. But, dude, the 49ers are now very interesting. I mean, that was a fantastic game that we saw there. We knew that it was going to be one of the better ones. I mean, that 4 o'clock slate was awesome between that game and then the Bills-Chiefs game. But it is wild how quarterback friendly Kyle Shanahan's offense is man and and I get it like they've done so much work to make it as friendly as possible the offensive line is good now they're healthy you totally see that getting to throw to guys like Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield Brandon Ayuk's becoming one of the best route runners in the NFL George Kittle's one of the best all-around tight ends that there is in the league and so you know you just throw all those weapons out there and I don't want to say me or you could play quarterback because that's probably not true you're probably a lot closer to it than I am but we see a Mr. Irrelevant step into the game go into the year as QB3, he goes out and beats the Dolphins, a playoff team. Dolphins could get the one seed in the AFC, and he goes out and he beats them. And he, man, he shows some moxie, he shows some guts, and it's just like that That offense is, the, it just instills so much confidence in no matter who is playing it. And I think that that is the gem of what Kyle Shanahan does, is no matter what position you're playing, you're probably playing about as confident as you ever have when you're within that system. And it just works, man. If you can hit across the middle, which Brock Purdy seemed to be fearlessly doing this past weekend, you got a chance to beat anybody, especially when that defense is behind you. So uh, I would have told you after this week, if Jimmy G was still healthy, that I would have told you the Niners are the scariest team right now in the NFC. All respect to Philadelphia, because I do not want to sound disrespectful to them at all. But the way that that Niners defense is rolling, it felt like if Jimmy G was still at the helm, uh, they felt like, it would have felt like one of the scariest teams. Still a good team. All due respect to Brock Purdy. Um, 
but I'd probably still put the Eagles in number one now, given given the circumstances. Yeah, I'd agree. They went from I think the like a, a weapon of mass destruction to more of a landmine that you might step on at this point. Like, hmm. still going to be a tough out on any occasion. And if you see them in the postseason, we clearly saw that defense go up against, like you said. A Miami team that is offensively based, that is cut from a similar cloth, but you know more of the vertical version of what they've been doing in San Francisco, really stymied by the speed at linebacker, the playmaking, the secondary, obviously Nick Bosa up front, and what they're able to kind of scheme to make sure that he continues to get matchups where he can eat. All of those things to corral any of the best offenses in the NFL. Like until you get to third down, it's a pretty simple formula with them. Our guys are better than your guys. We're going to turn them loose up front. Right. We're going to let Fred Warner and this linebacker crew run all over the place and close windows quickly. And it made their lives a living hell. And so from that standpoint, you're going to always complimentary football-wise give your offense a pretty decent shot. I also think this is kind of a scouting win for them too with Brock Purdy. I said yesterday, a lot of the things that you're asked to do as the quarterback in this offense, pre-snap motion, shifting guys around, all the playing with the chess pieces that you have here was stuff that Brock had to do in the Iowa State offense that they ran under his time with Matt Campbell. And so from that standpoint, you've got round peg and round hole at the very least, even if the talent's not quite there for the peg. Yeah, no, I I agree. And, you know, I, I watched Brock Purdy like everybody else did when he came on. His, it was either a freshman or a redshirt freshman. I can't remember when he first kind of came onto the scene for the Cyclones. And it's like, oh, you know, maybe they have something here. And then uh, the years went by and it's like, all right he doesn't really have an NFL arm. Like he just doesn't have the greatest arm and that's really tough, right? You can get about as good in your system as you can, but when it comes to jumping up to the next level, you got to have arm talent. And that's ultimately why Brock Purdy fell as far as he did all the way to Mr. Irrelevant in the draft class is because he just doesn't have the arm talent. Now, like you said, it's decently easy because he's able to step in right away and a lot of it is just in rhythm timing stuff. And he clearly has confidence to be able to do that. Is the ball getting there on a frozen rope? No, but it's getting there, you know? And so he's giving his guys a chance when it comes to, Hey, you got to start your QB three. Now it's hard to think your anybody's QB three out there would have played better than Brock Purdy played for the Niners last night. So they've displayed depth there. We talked about that part of the offense here. I do want to look at, cause we didn't talk about this as much yesterday the Miami Dolphins portion of things in here mm. this is a loss that stung to a tongue of Iloa off on more throws than we're used to seeing Jalen Waddle severely limited in this game his touch is there how much did this affect your perception of the Dolphins you know I I still think the Dolphins are a team that any given week they can beat any team in the NFL I think they have that formula especially when they're fully healthy and they weren't fully healthy yesterday you know Toronto Armstead's beat up they're missing Jalen Waddle a little bit from injury and so those things definitely play into it so I want to make sure that that context is said but when it comes to being a legit Super Bowl contender I think this past week's game was really the game that revealed it for me that I just don't believe in Tua to be that kind of a player because in order to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, you've got to win at least three games in a row against increasingly tougher opponents as you get towards the final goal. I don't know if Tua has that kind of consistency against some of the better pass rushers, the better secondaries, better overall defenses that he's going to go up against. His numbers right now, especially in our PFF systems, when it comes to playing under pressure, they are good. And so I want to make sure that I give him that credit. But watching yesterday, 
it was a little bit more evidence towards I feel like that's offensive and skill player based rather than Tua based because you saw Tua get hit and take some pressure early on in this game and then you just saw him physically be skittish I think the rest of the game and that kind of shaken confidence that that shook mentality that a lot of people were tweeting about when they were seeing the game that is the real part to me and it's it's an offense that is so well orchestrated still has so much speed so much talent that they can still make those things work and that's why I say shoot even if the Dolphins you know match up against one of the best teams in the AFC because of the playoff matchup if it ends up being like this they can take a good team down in round one of the playoffs they can take a good team down in round two of the playoffs but can they win three in a row, four in a row to actually be a legit Super Bowl contender against better defenses as they kind of continue to go along? I lost confidence in that this past weekend. So that's kind of where I am with the Dolphins. Still a damn good football team. Still obviously going in the right direction. Tough to beat week in and week out. But to to for me to bet on them winning multiple games in a row in the postseason, ah, that took a hit for me last this week. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a good point. I think it's kind of the thing we feared with them all along is – now that you're starting to see some of that attrition, because we're also getting to the point where watching the attrition and the foundation around guys or teams getting healthy at the right time is severely starting to impact quarterback play. And for them to be down three offensive linemen in that game and kind of juxtapose that with the trajectory for a team like the Bengals right now, who, Mm -hmm. boy, oh boy, is the land clearing out in front of them with this Lamar Jackson injury and how poorly the Ravens have played to really just power through to the driver's seat in the AFC North this year, that's a team where the offensive line has been healthy and getting ready in front of Joe. They reimagined and hockey line changed it this offseason. I said very similar to what the Chiefs did after the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, where you realize there was a problem in a Super Bowl loss. It got exposed in a glaring stage throughout the postseason, and then you went out there and put the resources into it, and now they've been able to work together long enough, even while some of the skill talent around has been banged up, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, and the like, and it's allowed Joe Burrow to do something that I think is incredibly impressive which is go out and play confident in the pocket despite the fact that he's got no earthly reason far as his NFL development to have confidence in that area all he's known is getting hit so far in his career right and so now that he's got extra time the fact that he is still operating in there without any of the like ghosts of Christmas past in that area is really impressive even if part of that is also I think that group around him is playing a ton better yeah and the the Bengals are an absolute house right now. I mean, just to echo a lot of the things that you said, Burrow is playing extremely confident, but you know that's nothing new going back to LSU. I, I do think the offensive line is playing better, but Burrow is also getting the ball out a little bit quicker, which is normally not his MO. Remember, like he talked about this offseason. I can't remember what podcast he went on, but he was like, yeah, sacks are just like a thing. You got to take them, you know, especially in the offense that I like to operate in. I like to go for those bigger plays. I like to wait with the ball a little bit. I trust my playmakers. I trust my arm, all that kinds of stuff. And against the Chiefs, it felt like he was very decisive quickly. And not that he's been indecisive before, but it felt like it was just more built into the game plan that he was going to get the ball out quicker. And that's just not something I feel like the Bengals have done a ton of of over the last couple of years. So I think that offense is evolving. Zach Taylor is evolving with with what he Mm. believes is the best way to to deploy all of the talent that he has there. T. Higgins proved while uh, Jamar Chase was gone that he is a wide receiver one who just happens to be playing wide receiver two because they have a top five wide receiver in front of them, which is just an unbelievable embarrassment of riches. Lou Anarumo, their defensive coordinator, is, dude, 
I mean, if he's not talked yeah. about as a head coaching candidate, that's just because he's probably told people, nah, I like being a defensive coordinator. Because what he has done over the last two years, who beats the Chiefs three times in a row? I'll tell you, literally nobody. Literally <laughs> nobody, okay? And and they're out here doing this three times in a row in big games, in big games. The regular season game against the Chiefs last year was a big game. The playoffs, obviously a big game. This huge game, the AFC race, is unbelievable, and I wanted to make sure that I point this out too because it is important. Bengals are now sitting here at 8-4, and four, okay? For as much as we've talked about, oh, Buffalo getting the one seed, the Chiefs getting the one seed, the Dolphins getting the one seed, maybe the Ravens getting the one seed, the Bengals are now one game back of the one seed in the AFC. They already own the tiebreaker over the Chiefs because of what we saw this week, and they own the tiebreaker over the Dolphins because they beat them earlier in the season. They lost to the Ravens, but they only lost by two points in Baltimore. They play the Ravens last game of the year Mm -hmm. at home, so they have a chance to get the tiebreaker over the Ravens. And the week before that, they play the Buffalo Bills at home and could have the tiebreaker over the Bills. There is no team in the NFL that controls their own destiny more than the Cincinnati Bengals. If you go back to last year, including the playoffs, the last eight games they've played at home, They have won seven of them, and the only one they lost was that weird, didn't make sense, throw it out the window, week one game against the Steelers in which Joe Burrow hadn't played football in like six months because, remember, he didn't play in the preseason. So if you throw all that out, all of a sudden, Cincinnati looks like it's one of the best home field advantages in the NFL, and they have a chance to get the one seed and guarantee that throughout the playoffs. I was not a big believer in a repeat performance of the Super Bowl run that we saw from the Bengals last year. I am now. I have to be now. And they're in a really great spot. Well, it is a good point because last year, because of how poorly they were built up front, and when we saw them invest the resources, it felt like that was going to be the worst version of the Bengals we saw for a while, even if the record wasn't indicative, right? Because the Mm. AFC was so much better than the NFC this season for all those reasons. I will say, you just laid it out. It's a pretty compelling case, not only for their Super Bowl candidacy here and controlling their own destiny. Cincinnati also right now feels like it has claim to the true title of Queen City. Like Charlotte, I'm sorry, but the, the Panthers have not held up their end of the bargain here. Cincinnati feels like the real Queen City this season. Do you know Denver's also the Queen City? What? We can't just keep there can't be there can't be more than one. There can't be more than one. And there's already three off the top of my head. Charlotte, Cincinnati, Denver. How many more do we have? How many more do we have? I was unaware that Denver had also I thought Denver was just a creepy airport and a lot of marijuana. Now they're apparently <laughs> the Queen City. No, they're, take, they're trying to they're trying to take the Queen City. And I don't know if it like I, I don't know who's the original Queen. I I don't know. Like we we need to we need to you and I need to figure out how we need to settle this. Can we become the committee? Can you and I become like the committee of like city nicknames where we come up with different challenges that they have to do to where it's like, all right, well, now you can't call yourself that anymore because you won this challenge. We need to do this. We're convening the first official meeting of the Queen City Committee, and we're making sure that we – yeah, it, it just flows. It's effortless. It's perfect. The Queen City Committee. There it is. It. it feels good. Uh, I would say from the Rangoonies to the Queen City Committee here. What a <laughs> what a what a glow up for everyone involved here. Fans of Crap Rangoon meeting on God's internet. Um, I I will say to that end also because I think part of our role as the Queen City Committee is to understand that your performance relative to the other Queen Cities is going to go a long way on the athletic field of determining who gets to actually wear the crown, the literal crown in this case. Um, mm. Now that I know Denver's involved in that, we can also x them out of 
of this conversation. That game against Baltimore was an atrocity. Watching that football game for anyone that exposed them to that over time had to be like looking directly down into the reactor at Chernobyl. I mean, that's a good way to put it. It's a good way to put the entire season for the Denver Broncos, man. I I, I looked at the Broncos and I was doing my my preseason, overall season previews. And there were times when I was like, I'm gonna have Denver. I'm gonna have Denver in the playoffs. Like I'm just like I'm gonna yep. do it. Like I believe. Like Russ is gonna bounce back. He's in a new spot. I love the supporting cast he has there. I love the defense. Like I love. Like all these things are there, and it's gone catastrophically wrong with Russell Westbrook and Nathaniel Hackett. I am almost never an advocate of firing a head coach after one year. Now, of course. That is with the understood that I would like for you who to have done the work during the hiring process to make sure that you didn't hire a total dud, a la Urban Meyer. I'm not saying that Nathaniel Hackett is Urban Meyer, but when you look at how just how bad this is, because some we had this stat on the show the other day, and it was like the Denver Broncos are averaging. 14 points per game, which is the lowest number since the Browns in 2000, I think. They obviously didn't hit 14 this past weekend, so that number is even further down. It's probably into the 13s. They are making history this side of the century in the wrong way. And you can't get rid of Russ. All right? right. I, I, I have a I have an NFL draft podcast called the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast, and we do a what matters most from every game, every Monday. My what matters most was the Broncos, who do still have a first-round pick, although it's not their own, which is number three overall, which is rough. They do, for the Bradley Chubb trade, still have a first-round pick. It's Miami, so it's sitting there at 25. I My point was going to be, you got to draft the quarterback. You got to draft the quarterback. You got to think about it, because it is such an issue of what's going on right now. You got to draft the quarterback. And then my co-host was like, Connor Rogers. He said, wait, isn't, isn't Russ's contract like unmovable? I looked it up. It's... It is yeah. asinine. He is $107 million dead cap next year. He is $85 million dead cap the year after. He is $50 million dead cap the year after that. You can't even think about moving on from this dude <laughs> for the next three years. So at that point, you basically have to fire Nathaniel Hackett, which I think is crazy. We're talking about this as a one-year head coach, but... Things are bad in Denver, man. And especially if they lose Everode, their defensive coordinator, who is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, things might things might get bad in Denver real quickly. So they're not going to win that Queen City crown anytime soon. Nope, nope. That uh, that crown is staying firmly uh, east of the Rockies at this point. Um, yeah, it is it is a great point about that deal because I feel like we've had – people were having some version of that conversation when things were really bad with the Packers and we all looked at that deal and we're like, mm-hmm. well, they're going to work it out. And Aaron Rodgers actually hasn't been playing terrible. Like, it's felt bad out there. But there's still been good work inside that process even though so many parts of the machine were broken. This has been all bad. And one of the cardinal sins of any sport – in any level is making the same mistake forget twice over and over again and the Broncos have absolutely been a catastrophe in and approaching the red zone they didn't even have a red zone trip to speak of in this last game they just decided that instead of being bad there they would avoid it altogether and not even get there (laughs) and so to have that be a consistent theme that we saw yeah I can say Galaxy brain, brain shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if we just don't go? 
<laughs> but to have that be the theme going all the way back to week bleeping one when we were looking at the Russell Wilson homecoming against Seattle is just sort of proof that no part of this has worked. And it, right, at some point, you're in for so much of that Walmart money, you might as well go ahead and hit the panic switch a little bit and try and make this work. Because it, it, it's wild to see, like... Watching the way that Russell Wilson looks playing football, completely mm-hmm. devoid of confidence this season, is like watching your dad get beat up in public. You don't really mm-hmm. recover from that loss of respect you have in that moment. No, that's uh, it's tough. I just looked it up. 37.5% conversion rate. Touchdown conversion rate when they're in oh. the zone. That's bad. That's really bad. Number one team is, uh, is it still the Chiefs? I think it's still the Chiefs. Maybe it's still yeah. the Chiefs. I oh, no, it's Detroit. Were... What? <laughs> Detroit 73.9% get you some Dan Campbell okay uh, all right the li- the Lions buzzsaw Jared Goff in the year of our Lord 2022 just coming out here making it weird again dude uh, look all I'm saying is that if the Lions don't have a chance to draft Bryce Young which it doesn't feel like they're going to because it looks like Bryce Young's probably going to go number one overall to the Houston Texans and the Houston Texans aren't giving up that number one overall pick if the Detroit Lions can't get Bryce Young, I'm I'm starting to I'm starting Ooh. to I'm starting to get into the no quarterback strategy. They got two first round picks, they got two second round picks. Okay. Jared Goff's under contract and he gets cuttable from here on out. Okay. You could live with Jared Goff. You could spend all four of those probably top 50, at least top 60 picks on four really great players to continue to build out a roster that still needs a lot of talent. And the next year you can get aggressive after a quarterback if you need to. In fact, I wouldn't hate them taking that second first round pick that they have, which is a little bit further down the order. It's currently number 15 trade a little bit further back, get into the 20s, do the Howie Roseman thing where you have two first-round picks the next year too. So you're going a little bit further down the order this year just to make sure you gain leverage and have control over the first round the next year. All I'm saying, all I'm saying. No, and you know what? I I appreciate the strategy because clearly the defense is the overwhelming problem right now. Nothing on the offense is glaring as far as things that need to be addressed. The offensive line, especially when they're fully healthy, is a really quality unit. You've got two really talented backs. Jamal Williams has been a revelation this season. You're still now just getting Jamison Williams, your first-round pick out of Alabama, back on the field since he started the year on the shelf. And so all those things are working in your favor. My only wonder with that is because it's still – there's some point it's uh, still some point where we see certain key areas in the game where you see Jared Goff's limitations pop up every once in a while. Some of the stuff he yes. took, he was a part of a Super Bowl team in Los Angeles. That was real. None of that stuff just goes away. My wonder is just because so much of this is about the close games that they end up losing. If Dan Campbell is still the coach, if you're taking that long-term strategy by the time you get to drafting in 2024, because there was already, I think some frustration before the three game winning streak this year about, Mm -hmm. is he going to be the right guy? Can your young program as you're laying this foundation absorb so many of these close losses and end up yielding you positive results on the back end? And there's no doubt that absolutely goes into it. And I thought about that. I was having those conversations, just like you said, everybody else was a couple of weeks ago. It's like, man, is Dan Campbell going to get screwed? And is he really not going to be afforded to draft that quarterback that he was probably promised when they brought him in as this rebuild, just because teams get really impatient. I don't think that's the case. Certainly right now would certainly say that that's not going to be the case moving forward. I think he gets one more off season, at least it feels as though with him being, a guy who's two years in going into year three, they're probably going to have to get a young quarterback in there just to make sure they have something to lean on for this regime. But in a 
world where he wouldn't have to worry about that, I I would not hate that strategy because as much as I don't want to do like grass is greener, next year's quarterback class also does look pretty good, especially at the top. Mm. So if you continue to have leverage and you got two first round picks and you know you can move up for one, then all of a sudden maybe that ends up being the right strategy for you. But it's tough when you ask regimes to continue to put off quarterbacks when they need to. So you're you're saying that drafting Anthony Richardson with a late first round pick this year would not be advisable. Look, I, look, go Gators, baby! I'm a Florida Gator yeah. grad. I'm, I'm yeah. uh, wherever, wherever, uh, wherever we can get our guy AR high in the draft. That's what I want. No, I mean AR is fascinating, right? So he he declared he officially declared for the draft this week. We were wondering if that was going to be the case because he is a really polarizing prospect. But man, I as we're sitting here, beginning of December. Somebody's, I think somebody's going to take a chance on this dude in the first round. I really do. Mm-hmm. The highs and just the physical potential of him are nuts. I've watched him on tape a bunch just from watching a lot of Florida Gator games. And then I've also had the chance to watch him in person. He's just an unreal athlete. He is a different caliber of an athlete, both with his legs and with his arm. You saw a lot of his legs when he was the backup for for um, Emory Jones last season with Dan Mullen. And you saw a lot more with his arm than you did the year before. Now, is he working project? progress of course he is there are times when he just misses easy throws and you go anthony come on man like you've got to be able to hit those things to even be a starter at the nfl level but if you understand where he is i do think that he made a good amount of progress from last year to this year especially because from what i have heard there wasn't a lot of investing into an offense that was very anthony richardson friendly Mm -hmm. last year it felt like they were just orchestrating the offense for emory jones and an emory jones offense very different than what would be an Anthony Richardson one. So I don't think there was a lot of progress for AR last year, whereas this year he's really learning a lot of these things for the first time. I think his footwork has definitely improved when he remembers how to point his shoulders in the right direction, keep his feet from under him, continue to stay in a pocket, go through progressions, all of those things. He's shown he has the ability to do that. It's just not muscle memory for him yet, right? It's not. He's just not anticipating. He's reacting to things, and you want to get more towards that anticipatory side of things. So he is definitely a ways away, but I like the prospect of Anthony Richardson. I think I'll say more than I liked any quarterback over last year's class. So that's kind of where I am from. So I, I I I would take this dude in the top fifty, and I think at, when it's all said and done, I think the NFL is going to take this dude at the back end of the first round. Yep, I think we are, uh, especially once we hit workout season and get out of the last entrails of bowl season and the on-field stuff, we're going to see that become more and more the case. Someone is going Mm -hmm. to look and say, oh no, I got exactly what you need. I see where you're going and I can be the one to get you there. Uh, Trevor can be the one to get you there. Uh, Guys, on a daily basis, check out It's Just Football. Check out the NFL Stock Exchange podcast for more great stuff like this. Over with the fine folks at PFF. Trev, you're the man. Looking sharp as always we'll definitely talk to you again soon brother appreciate it man anytime the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and now that the boston celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the miami heat boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. 
only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Brandon. Time to bring this thing home. You know what time it is? I do, Mike. I do. And this one is inspired by uh, where I imagine you may be uh, during the holidays, where I'm headed uh, during the holidays. I I probably won't get this, but I'm missing it. Some say I'm dreaming of it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where those treetops glistening Children listen to hear This, that, and the third Then I, 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 I dreaming Christmas With every Christmas God I ride May your days, may your days, may your days Be very bright And may all your Christmases be white Man! Jordan Mylotta, eat your heart out. Brandon Newman coming through and said, yeah, I'm both. Oh, yeah. <laughs> both. Yeah. And honestly, obviously, a lot of people have done White Christmas. Bing Crosby did it first in 1947. I was kind of channeling the drifters, Mike. Um, but yeah, White Christmas. I just, well, now I have stuck in my head the Eagles offensive line doing their Christmas album. And when they released one of the trailers from yes. the video they put together for it, that part you came in on was Jordan Maialata coming in. Hi, 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 hi. It was he, a. He, he bodied that mic. Dude, Jordan Maialata can sang with an A. Yes. I didn't even, I, when you said Jordan Malata, I thought you were just talking about some other random singer. <laughs> you're not thinking about the offensive tackle. Yeah, or, this 6'8", like 340-pound monstrosity that also has the voice of an angel somehow. Right, I thought, I thought I was like, I don't remember the Hawaiian guy that was huge and saying maybe that was his name. Well, if you thought that Brandon also had the voice of an angel, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Tell him what a great job he did. At Gojo Show on Twitter as well. Brandon, speaking of catering things to your geographic location, uh, let's Mm. get to this. The new head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats has been announced. Luke Fickle headed over to Wisconsin as the Bearcats get ready to join the Big 12. They will be manned by none other than Scott Satterfield, the now former head coach of the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, Scott Satterfield was 25-24 and at Louisville uh, after 
47 and 16 run at five years at App State back on the mountain. And Brandon, this has been very tenuous as of late. Last offseason, there was a lot of heavy petting between Scott Satterfield and some other jobs that were out there. It didn't seem like the reunion with Louisville was going to happen. It didn't seem like everyone was all hunky-dory even for a lot of this year. And now this has ended in divorce. In a year where these two teams are getting ready to play in the Fenway Bowl against each other this year. And Brandon, the only thing I'm disappointed in is that Scott Satterfield didn't embrace the, embrace the mess and coach this game. He says he's not going to coach for either team. He's going to be out focusing on recruiting. He's not going to insert himself in this situation. When Brandon, I very much wanted to see him try and coach both teams in this game. But maybe that was a pipe dream. I mean, it would be unfair, Mike, but also quite the match. I don't know if you remember the Queen's Gambit, but I can imagine uh, something of that, like playing both sides of the board. Mike, I am so pissed about this, not because of the proximity between Cincinnati and Louisville, but that is actually why I'm actually really pissed about it, Uh, because, you know, the the, the movement and, and, and whatnot. But people around Louisville here are hurt. People are hurt to think that their head coach could be left for Cincinnati. And not only that, that another head coach that has been successful getting him to three bowl games in, in his four years uh, for Louisville Cardinals just up and leaves again. Mike, like, what is up with the University of Louisville? Why can't they keep anyone? Like, Bobby Petrino would rather get in a motorcycle accident in Arizona to leave. Charlie Strong's just ready to throw away his entire head coaching career just to kind of jump to Texas whenever he can. Like, it, it, it was – who else was – who actually offered me uh, – Crackthorpe. Oh, Lord. That was that was a, a whole tenure. Mike, what is going on in the University of Louisville with this football program? I don't know, man. I don't know who wouldn't want the keg and nails trophy that comes out of this game. Either this is a matchup of a historic rivalry with a great trophy. I mean, the rivalry is now starting again. It had not been around for a long time. I don't, I don't know the thing. But, yes, shout out to the kegs and nails trophy and getting it kicked off. Now, and I think they're going to continue to play uh, into the next season, uh, especially with all the, the conference moving. Well, Brandon, my question for you is, how do you do you think that this might work with Jeff Brom this time around? Because I want to read you a statement from Jeff Brom, who said, quote, this has been a very difficult and emotional decision for me and my family. We're extremely happy at Purdue and thankful for the opportunity to lead this program. After intense and thorough discussion, I believe it's important to finish building the process we have begun and honor the commitment I made to our football program players and recruits. While going home was a very appealing and meaningful idea to me, the timing is not ideal. I believe remaining at Purdue is the right thing to do, and I am excited for the challenges ahead. Brandon, that was former Louisville great Jeff Brom, former Louisville quarterback. In 2018, when he turned down the job at that juncture, too, do you think it's going to be any different this time around? I do, Mike, and I would love to quote Tom Fernelli, a friend of the podcast, uh, CBS Sports over there, the, the Cover 3 pod. Is that I said his name correctly, yep. did I not? Okay, let me read his tweet from today. Just me speculating, but if Louisville goes after Brom, I have a difficult time seeing him saying no twice. He's done a great job at Purdue, but what are the odds that he gets back to the Big Ten championship game in the Big Ten, in this new Big Ten? Path to the playoffs likely easier at Louisville. Mm, How about that? I'm just I listen. He had me after you said I, I don't think Brom says no to Louisville twice. He loves it there. Uh, he hosted me there when I was getting recruited from Louisville. Mike, obviously, his brother was a a, a big was a starting quarterback there, and, and, and made a, a lot of money for Bob Petrino at the time. Michael Bush was the running back, so they were kind of a stacked team in the Big East at that point in time, Mike. But 
it feels like Brom and Louisville are connected in a way. And I think Louisville would like to get a nice long tenure guy, somebody who wants to be there. And I think Brom wants to be home in Louisville. He's from here. Well, one thing is, is he mentioned the word timing in that 2018 statement. It's always got to be about timing going back home because you only get one shot at the alma mater. And I'm sure Jeff Brom knows that as well as anybody. And so we'll wait and see what happens on that front. But uh, there you go. Plenty of drama in the coaching side. Jeez. of the college football postseason. But, Brandon, let's get to that and the drama on the player side because the transfer portal is now open. So the transfer portal used to be this year-round phenomenon. It is now a two-window process. The transfer portal is open first for 45 days starting December 5th, so that was Monday, until January 18th. It is then open again from May 1st to May 15th. There are exceptions for grad transfers and for players that are going through coaching changes. But for everyone else, you got this time period. And Brandon, it is easier to point out that you had guys like Jordan Travis stay at Florida State, Michael Penix Jr. stay at Washington instead of opting to leave or go to the NFL than it is to nail down exactly who is and who isn't staying with their alma mater. Some of the highlights are a lot of the ACC guys. Clemson's DJ Uyangalale officially in the portal. NC State's mm-hmm. Devin Leary also joining as well. So plenty of big-time names that are going to be jockeying for position near the top of the sport. But Brandon, this is just the numbers from the last four years with the transfer portal of the amount of players that jumped into the portal and the amount that actually managed to transfer. And just look at the trend that we've seen. In 2018-19 offseason, 1,729 players entered, 878 actually transferred. The next year, 1,625 entered, 901 transferred. 2020, Mm. 2,654 players entered with 1,452 transferring. And in 2021-2022's offseason, 3,085 players jumped in the portal with only 866 actually transferring. Oh. Yeah, 28% of the players that jumped in actually ended up leaving their program. And so, Brandon, you're starting to get to the point now, this is going to be year five of this, where people are getting more information back on what happens if you leap before you look. And so that's always the thing here, man. Everyone go out and chase the opportunity that's there for you. If you're not in a good situation, make sure you go ahead and get yourself out of that. But also be careful that you don't leave something for an opportunity that isn't there. Use good people in your life to make sure you're getting good information and try and make the best possible decision that you can because you only got five years of this. Let me just say one thing to anyone who's listening who actually is testing out the transfer portal. Because some places easier doesn't necessarily make it a better fit. Yep. That's for every individual to decide. Every yep. single one. So worthwhile advice. It's going to be the subject of a lot of writing and discussion over the next month. I'm sure we'll get into it plenty as plenty of schools start jockeying for position of service of experienced players. This is going to become as important or more than high school recruiting in a lot of places because True. for new coaches, it allows you to jumpstart it quick. See Lincoln Riley at USC. See what Deion Sanders is going to try and do at Colorado. But also it allows you to address needs with players that have actually played college football, not ones who you're trying to project from high school Mike that take or that idea whatever you just put in my head made me think Kevin Kevin Durant did this Kevin Durant did the one and done it bled into college football 
God. All right. Somehow this has turned into a Kevin Durant's uh, <laughs> diss track here. I, for one, am stunned on that. So, Brandon, let's get to an even more controversial topic and finish it off on the third. Um, I saw this tweeted yesterday by Justin Kirkland, uh, writer and host of uh, John Dutton Must Die. Um, okay. He, yeah. He tweeted. What are your most unimpeachable personal top five Christmas and holiday movies that you must watch? Movies, shows, what have you. Brandon, um, you and I have put together a top five. Would you like me to go yes. first or do you want to go first? I think people want to hear from you, Mike. All right, Brandon, number five on this list. Love Actually, a movie that I hadn't seen until two years ago for the first time and is a delight. Wait a minute, which one? Who's in Love Actually? Uh, Professor Snape um, and that little kid. Oh, I know nothing of that. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of famous people in that would movie. You, I know, but you were, would you recommend it? I know you put uh, it yes, in the top F, five. But. Yes, I, I would say. I, I, somewhat obvious. Uh, Hugh Grant's in that movie. Colin Firth, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, Kiera Knightley, Alan Rickman. Um, so, yeah. Tons of studs in there. Andrew uh, Andrew Lincoln as well. Martin Freeman. So big time star studded ensemble cast. Plenty of fun. Very heartwarming. It has that iconic scene that you've seen used in memes. To me, you are perfect on the cards written out in the front of the door. So that's where that comes from. Check that out. Okay. Number four, the Ted Lasso Christmas episode from season two. That became canon the moment it came out. I cried watching it the okay. very first time and will every subsequent time. Um, Mike, you didn't. I did. Was it the kid? Was it the was it the was it the little the little girl, the niece? No, it was uh, honestly for me. It was the team hollow. It was the team Christmas dinner. Um, oh, over at the crib. Yeah, yeah you that they had together. Yeah, yeah was I was gonna nice. say, yeah. and reminded reminded me of our time in college there, where you're not with your family, you're with the family that you chose and the family that you work with, and there's something sweet about that. And Sam was about to bust it wide open with old girl. God damn it! Go ahead. <laughs> He was. Number number three is Christmas Story. I grew up watching the 24-hour Christmas Story marathon. I know people are conflicted about that one. It's a good movie. Interesting. Number two is Elf, another one that did the impossible, becoming modern Christmas canon in a hurry. And Quick. number one for me, uh, every year I go out of my way to watch the Charlie Brown animated Christmas special. It's short. It's sweet. Um, hearing them sing Hark the Herald Angels sing at the end on a very cold winter night is my idea of a very perfect evening. So that is the top five. Um, also receiving votes, the animated Grinch movie is an absolute classic. The animated one? Yeah, I fuck with the animated one heavily. Not Jim Carrey? No, animated one. Greater than sign. Also, okay. Home Alone's overrated. Home Alone was receiving votes, but it's definitely not overrated. We can argue about that on a different day with a different cast, maybe. Uh, we, we bring people on this podcast sometimes. So we can do that. Um, are you ready for my, I my am. list? Okay, coming in at number five. It's the Rugrats Passover episode, Mike. Yeah. Uh, season three, episode 26. I think I love it so much because before I understood that it was uh, – a retelling of the the genesis of this holiday, Hanukkah. I thought it was literally just fiction. Like I, <laughs> you thought it was just a very like well thought out episode of the Rugrats. 
I was like, all oh, the Rugrats mess with the Bible. I like this. This is good. There's a little mix between the Rugrats and the Bible. Like, why don't Charlie Brown do this? Uh, but yes, I, I that's a great episode. Love it. Holiday season. Got to watch it when it's on. Uh, Got to find it, obviously, because it's on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, but number four, Mike, this may be controversial, The Proposal. That's a great movie. Ryan Reynolds, Sandra Bullock, uh, Betty White. Uh, you can go on and on, really. Uh, Rest in power. Just a really, just a fun film. Just a little bit of like, a, what's the the new movie that Ryan Reynolds is in with, with Will Ferrell, uh, The Ghost of Christmas Past? Like yeah. that type, of, what is that? The Scrooge stuff? Like there's a little bit of that in it, Mike, but love in, wins out in the end. So many laughs. It's in Canada. There's There's like... You know, illegalness. I just love it. I love it. I do. I lo- I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan too. So you're hardly ever going to get it. There's Christmas elements in that movie. Yeah, it happens during Christmas. They're in there. They're there. There's not. There's not <laughs> you tell me there's no Christmas elements in the proposal. I don't think so. <laughs> How dare you say that? I don't think it's it, a Christmas movie. <laughs> it comes on. It comes on. All the time during the Christmas holiday, you bullshit. There's definitely a Christmas scene. All right, look, now I got. All right, that that one's under protest. What's number three? <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you tell me a Christmas proposal is what I'm looking for. No, it's not. Okay, um, number number three is Elf, Mike. <laughs> Stop laughing. Stop laughing about the proposal. I swear the scene, like the the climax is in Christmas, right? Like they have to get, no? (laughs) Is the movie just in Canada? Is it just in somewhere where people, where there's snow? It's in Alaska. It's in Alaska. (laughs) So one of my top five favorite Christmas movies, just not a Christmas movie. (laughs) Movie Moving on. That's number two. If I, if I if I had to replace the proposal with an actual Christmas movie, maybe I put in Bad Santa, but I'm sticking with the proposal right now. Uh, number two is uh, Jingle All the Way, Mike. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Jingle All the Way is like one of the best movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the best movies. Uh, one of his best movies. Sinbad. Uh, the neighbor who's trying to get with all the wives. Like, there's just so many things in that film. And now being a dad, I rec- recognize like just how desperate you are to like get your kid the gift they want. Turbo Man. So I love it. That's an absolute Turbo banger Man. of a gift. <sighs> and I honestly, I was always a big fan of the uh, the buck, the one that that was actually in stock. I was like, I'm really a sidekick at heart. I was like, who needs Turbo Man when you got the yeah, saber tooth? It's right there. <laughs> or I don't even remember his name. <laughs> Uh, okay, and then number one, Mike, the best the best Christmas movie, Friday After Next, yeah. uh, hilarious. I, I've I debated it a lot, or I've, I've talked about it a lot. I think it's the funniest of all the three Fridays. I agree. I think the first the first Friday is the best, uh, like movie, original concept, original screenplay. Uh, second next Friday is probably the most like robust narrative, like a lot of stuff going on, kind of like a heist movie. Um, which is what I like about Home Alone and Bad Santa, by the way. So I do like a little heist in my Christmas uh, movies. Actually, the heist was a Christmas movie, which was a great one. That should receive votes. Don't act like it wasn't. Oh, no, it was a Thanksgiving one. It was a Thanksgiving one. I get my shit messed up. Okay, but anyway, Friday the next. Ice Cube, uh, <laughs> Mike Epps. Literally watch it, not with kids, and you'll laugh your ass off. One of the best Christmas movies. I have to watch it 
every holiday season. Yeah, uh, unassailably a fantastic Christmas movie. Um, So at Gojo Show on Twitter, let us know what you think of our list. Let us know if you consider the proposal a Christmas movie. (laughs) It should be. You know what? Maybe, maybe for for our intents and purposes, because I mean it's the diehard principle, right? Like we're not going to have that debate on here, but you right. can find any yes. way to shoehorn yes. a movie into being on if it's on around Christmas enough. And so keep an eye out if the proposal comes on at any point in the next few weeks, it is officially a Christmas movie. If it is played Thank on you. one of those freeform channels during the holiday season, it's a Christmas movie. So be on the lookout if you see something, say something, so we can make Brandon right mm. on this front. Uh, and obviously let us know what you think there. Uh, also, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review with your top five must-watches for the holiday season. Make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well so you can watch me burst into tears when Brandon tries to claim that a movie is so Canadian that it must actually be Christmas. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.